More international success for the Pacers as Tyrese Halliburton is shining for the red, white, and blue. And Buddy Heald's Bahamas, a dominant win a couple hours ago. Plus, Miles Turner, first camp in Indy. He talked to Pacers offseason. And Chad Buchanan on setting the pace had a lot to say also about the Pacers summer. You'll hear about all of it today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today I'm in a good mood. I'm wearing my State Fair shirt. I went last night. It's got a cow holding a basketball on it. It's awesome. You know what else is awesome? Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald's play for their national teams recently. Halliburton sweeping the weekend of tough opponents. Heald getting a win in Olympic qualifying play today. We'll talk about what they've been doing uh, and how they've been better or worse or different than the last time we talked about them late last week. No international play for Halliburton or Tyson until the weekend, but Heald does play this week, so some updates on those guys. Miles Turner caught up with him last week at his camp. See what he said about both having a camp in Indy and the Pacers offseason in general. And then Chad Buchanan, public appearance on the Setting the Pace podcast with friend of the pod Alex Golden and Michael Fachi himself. What did he have to say about the Pacers summer? And what was learned from that show that wasn't already said by someone who works for the Pacers? Quite a bit. I have a lot of notes from that show. We'll talk about them today. But we start with international play. Every game, Halberton does something awesome for this team, right? Last time we talked was after he debuted for against Puerto Rico. Um, USA played fin- fantastic that game. They kicked Puerto Rico's butt, but a little bit of different in class between those two opponents. Pacers had games against more serious competition this weekend. Pacers, <laughs> Team USA with a Pacers player had more serious competition this weekend. They played in Malaga. Uh, they played Spain, so that was in a true road game. And then also played Slovenia the day before that. Unfortunately, for the true breakdown here, Luca did not play for Slovenia. He got banged up the game before. He should be good for the World Cup, it sounds like. But you never want to risk it with these guys. And the Mavs are certainly happy to see that. And then Spain is without former Pacer, air quotes, uh, Ricky Rubio, who's out for mental health reasons. And that's not, not even just for Spain. That's potentially from the Cavs as well. We'll see what that means. Both teams still have NBA talent. Zoran Dragic, not Goran. Zoran Dragic on Slovenia. Couple guys, Santi Aldama, both Aaron Gomez's uh, on Spain. I'm missing one there. Alex Abrinas, former NBA player, uh, and Santi Aldama also, uh, or Usman Garuba. I can't remember who I didn't get in, get in yet, but they're all on Spain. So, Halliburton playing serious competition this weekend. First up, Slovenia. This one stands out to me even still in retrospect because this was his best scoring game, right? We'll get to the Spain game where he had double digit assists again to spoil it now, but against Slovenia, he was. Scoring a little bit. He finished with 10 points, which isn't a lot. But, like, given the way this Team USA stuff has gone, where it's more, you know, sharing-based, um, it, it, it hasn't really been Tyrese's chance to score. He's been a passer for that team, and rightly so. He fits in really well. Uh, but, you know, it's very egalitarian uh, right now. And so Halliburton getting to that level of 10 points, I thought was impressive, and he did it all basically self-created, right? A three, an and one, two pushes hard to the rim for buckets, right? And he still had his usual assist. He had four assists going into the fourth and still finished with seven. Like, he was throwing good passes at the end. He was pairing well with Anthony Edwards. And this is still the thing that stands out to me as he had his best scoring game. 
is there playing with other guards, right? Steve Kerr clearly has a liking to Halberton in this system. I think Halberton plays the way Kerr kind of likes, moves the ball, moves around himself. Um, so the fact that he was getting on the scoreboard uh, was impressive, and he had a beautiful full-court pass to Austin Reeves in this game. Austin Reeves last week really praised uh, Halberton's passing for this Team USA squad. So uh, against Slovenia, I think the standout thing for Halberton was the scoring, finding his own ways uh, to get to the cup a little bit, and of course hitting a three and an end one in the end made it so he got to that 10-point mark. It's like um, he, he got to 10 points with 58 seconds left. It's not like he was like spreading out this awesome scoring night, but just like in the way Team USA plays, it was impressive he found ways to succeed without being the star passer for the team, right? Because like Jalen Brunson's been a great scorer, Anthony Edwards has, Halburn's just been passing. To see him step up in that way was impressive. But then the very next day, he reverted to the guy that <laughs> that Pacers fans know that Team USA is kind of expecting, and he had 12 assists <laughs> against Spain, right? He was just, and he was ridiculous in that game. He had seven assists at halftime, but that sells it short. He had seven assists in just the second quarter. Right, it was insane. Like they were running everything through him. And a rider, we're talking about an opposing team that has four NBA players and can run a lineup that has five guys who at one point played in the NBA. When Halberton checked in in the first quarter, Team USA was losing. They were down 18-17. They were still losing when he came in. When he came out, they were winning, uh, and he had a bajillion assists. And then they were kind of like teetering and having trouble uh, getting their lead against the Spaniards to expand. So they brought Halberton back in. Before halftime, right? They needed him to get the lead, and they were still battling. It was close. Brunson was playing awesome. He had 16 points at the half, but um, they brought in Halberton earlier than they have. Like, he usually sits for the first about six, seven minutes of the first and third quarters. He came in like three minutes in to the third quarter because they could not break away in this game. They needed it to stay ahead. Like, Spain was kicking their butt on the glass, and then they were only up one going into the fourth, and Halberton had a great fourth as well. He had five assists. Uh, he had four steals um, in the, or excuse me, four assists in the fourth frame, uh, and that was his second double-digit assist game uh, at 12. He also had four points and four rebounds in the game, and that was needed to get over the hump because Spain was giving him giving him a tough one the whole game. Anthony Edwards put it away late, so Halberton doing kind of everything. It seems like if they need him to score, he scores. If they need him to pass, he passes. Uh, he's just been kind of a really good spark for the offense for Team USA. And even on a team that starts Jalen Brunson and Anthony Edwards and has guards in the rotation, Kerr really likes having Halbert out there in important moments, whether that's to close a close game or to keep USA's lead going. Like, Not only is he pushing the pace with the second unit that's running more, but when he's in with the starters, he's still helpful at getting everybody involved being a key part of what they do, and just moving the ball, right? On a team like this with so many good scores, it can stick a lot, and that's kind of fine because most players on the team can create their own shot, and it's like a good, efficient look, but it's still better if it's moving and everybody's moving around and the ball's popping, and Hal Burton is fantastic at making that happen for everybody. So I think Kerr's going to like him. I think he'll continue to play over half the game despite not starting, and uh, it's been really fun to watch him kind of evolve with this squad so far. We'll see more from him later this week against even more serious competition. It keeps leveling up. Um, this weekend, they play Greece. No Giannis. He's hurt, uh, but they're still a solid squad. And then they play Germany with Daniel Tice. Also, some NBA players on that Germany team who got bronze in Eurobasket last year. Looking forward to those games. And then it's time for the real games. Tice has not played since we last talked. Speak of the devil. He plays Greece and then USA this weekend. Buddy Heald has played since we last talked. Uh, they played Kansas twice last week. If you want to go back to last Thursday show, you can listen to some breakdowns from those. Bahamas' first game of Olympic qualifying play 
uh, earlier today, actually, a couple hours ago, as of this recording, they took on uh, Cuba. Now, this is funky, the way this all shook out for the Bahamas, right? This is supposed to be an eight-team competition for this Olympic qualifier, Panama can't make it they're not going to play so they were in uh, the bahamas group that healed's in so now it's a three-team group so this game against cuba is huge because cuba's probably the worst team in the group so bahamas win basically guarantees them top two in the group and they could make the playoffs that way unless cuba pulls off the upset of their life against argentina um the bahamas destroyed cuba it wasn't even close Final score uh, of that game, I don't know why I can't find it. There we go. Uh, final score of that game was 109-68. Buddy Heald led the, the the Bahamas with 24 points. He also had six rebounds, five assists, and two steals, 10 for 20 from the field. John Jair Ayton played for the first time for the Bahamas this summer. He had 22, and Indy native Eric Gordon had 17. I'm not here to read you a box score. I'm here to tell you what happened, though. It's so interesting. It's the same thing I talked about after the Kansas game. Like, because... The NBA players, the best players, the Bahamas just runs through these guys, even though they're not creators or like traditional point guards or organizers. So, like they'll they'll just set up pistol sometimes, and they'll they'll take it up the floor, and they'll just pitch it to Buddy, and Buddy comes up to the top of the key, and all of a sudden he's organizing or he's calling a player, he's calling for a screen, right? So he's kind of a creator, right? Him having five assists is not just like fluky five assists, like he's actually setting, not like throwing guys open and these magnificent Halliburton-esque passes, but like. He's kind of running the offense, and it's working pretty well. Eric Gordon did well in that way, too. And you know, that is the thing that stood out to me the most in these settings is just that he, he's, he's being asked to play like that more than he ever will basically be in the NBA. His shooting still looks crisp. He's still playing pretty well. Um, obviously, the, the defense for Bahamas is going to have to be awesome. If they want to win this, they have to win this tournament to stay alive in their Olympic qualifying hopes. Argentina, their next opponent, is really good um so they'll have to defend really well and i think that's what we'll learn more about heels defense like it's pretty hard to assess it against cuba they just clubbed them the whole game um i'll have more of a breakdown of what heels doing on d at that point also i only caught the last two and a half quarters of this game because i'm stupid don't know how time zones work and when i looked up when this game started i was not in eastern time but either way uh he's playing pretty well for the bahamas again and they have a very very good chance barring a miraculous upset of reaching the playoffs so they'll at least have two more games on their schedule to see what Hield can do and if he can get the Bahamas along with Aiton and Gordon into the playoffs and potentially into the Olympics we'll have more on that here but the passing the standout thing for Hield, similar to Halliburton funnily enough let's talk about a couple other things the preseason schedule is out for the Pacers and Miles Turner's camp was last week what did he say about one holding his first camp in Indy and two the Pacers offseason we'll get to all those topics in the second segment here before we do that though i want to really quickly talk to you guys about FanDuel because football is here colts played a game anthony richardson looked mostly good from what i gather besides one interception that quite frankly maybe wasn't his fault from our article i read doesn't matter it's rolling football season's here and FanDuel's giving you a chance to win all season long right now when you bet on a super bowl winner on FanDuel, you can get bonus bets every single time that that team wins a game in the regular season you just pick any team to win the Super Bowl. You get bonus bets for every victory. You can use those bonus bets on anything. Spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn at FanDuel. America's number one sportsbook. Check it out. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pictures your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Whoo! Obviously, locked on Sixers. On the record, James Harden, in front of a crowd of people, says, Daryl Morey is a liar. I'm never playing for him again. What? 
what one of those rare days where I kind of wish I could just not talk about the Pacers and riff on that. Not because I think it's interesting. In fact, I think it's really boring that the same guys demand trades all the time. And I think it's really boring that that's all is talked about in the offseason sometimes. But I think this particular circumstance, a player who has a tight relationship with a GM for over a decade, and that team saying they want to keep that guy into training camp, being shot down the next day by the player on the record saying, no, the GM's a liar, I'm never playing for him ever. I could talk for 30 minutes about just that, but I won't because this is a Pacers podcast. Locked on Sixers, though, certainly has a lot they can break down about the James Harden Philly saga and where that stands today. Keith Pompey and Devon Givens do a fantastic job over there. Let's keep it rolling in Pacerland. Lots of news coming out the last couple weeks. Really newsy August, surprisingly, which is great for stuff to talk about and um, to look forward at the season. Speaking of looking forward to the season, first bit of news I want to get to, preseason schedule out, broken uh, today. Dustin Dopierak and I had it uh, this morning. Uh, a couple of these games are already announced by other teams, but now the full thing. Uh, Sunday, October 8th, Pacers in Memphis. Tuesday, October 10th, Pacers in Houston. Monday, October 16th, Pacers at home against the Hawks. And then Friday, October 20th, Pacers at home against the Cavs. Both home games for you indie residents who might want to go and see the new look Pacers are at 7 p.m. in Cambridge. So the notes here, look, it's the preseason schedule. There's no back-to-backs. There's nothing, there's nothing like... There's no takeaways from the preseason schedule, right? Teams set these. They play the Grizzlies a lot in the preseason. They play the Rockets a lot in the preseason. They play the Cavs a lot in the preseason. Like, that, 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 that is what it is. What is noteworthy, I think, for fans to note is the schedule's pushed back, right? Last year, the Pacers' opening night game was October 17th, I think, or October 18th, like before the end of this preseason schedule, right? The league's pushed it all back. The midseason tournament has changed things. The general structure of the calendar is going to change a little bit. So they're starting a week later. Um, the first preseason games in general will be October 2nd, and those will be the overseas ones. The first ones from, I think, stateside teams is October 5th. So it's it's all a little bit back. Opening night for the Pacers will probably be like October 25th or 26th, right, in that range. Camp cuts are October 23rd. So that's all after the preseason. But those are the four teams the Pacers play. Um, nothing too specifically noteworthy about who they're going against. I suppose Atlanta, you could you could argue as a gauge of like, have the Pacers done enough to look interesting against that tier of team, but it's a preseason game. So that's the Pacers preseason schedule. The calendar is pushed back a week. Training camp is pushed back a week. So keep that in mind as we progress through the offseason and you're like, why isn't Tony previewing more of the season yet? Because the season starts a little bit later this year than it has in the past. Speaking of guys on the roster, which is not a segue that I even said, but whatever. Miles Turner, first camp in Indy ever last week, which was pretty sweet. He always holds him in Dallas uh, when he can, right? National team obligations and COVID notwithstanding. He's had four or five of them in the Fort Worth area where he's from in Bedford, but he had his first one in Indy last week at the Pacers Athletic Center up in Westfield uh, on the 10th last Thursday, so I couldn't get to it on last Thursday's Newsy show, but he had a lot to say, both about the camp and the Pacers offseason. If you want to listen to all the stuff he said, the whole video of it is on the Locked On Pacers YouTube channel, so some of you watching that already will know everything I'm about to say, because Turner already said it, <laughs> but I would like to talk about some of it. I think the big takeaway from him talking about his camp specifically, right, I talked a little bit about some of Turner's camp stuff before. I always think it's interesting that he likes to teach life skills, right? He's not it, there's a lot of basketball. Obviously, it's a basketball camp, but he's really into that 
sort of stuff like shake my hand respect your coaches like all sorts of stuff like that he's really into camps in general and you could hear him like when he went up there to talk to the campers before they went from drill to drill he wasn't talking about like well he did talk about basketball and how it's taken him places but he wasn't it wasn't just that it was also like you know he told one kid not to dribble while he was talking and like he told everybody to get good grades and how like he had to get good grades to even play basketball his parents held him out of a tournament because he got to see like that kind of stuff really matters to turner and you could see that watching him interact with people of course but the other standout thing as he talked about his camp was that he called indy his second home a lot <laughs> he said i've done a lot in the texas area but it's my first time doing it in indianapolis i'm glad i'm finally able to bring it to my market my market that stood out to me and then he said i've been here my second home for eight years now and like i've never th- i like i've known this but i've never really deeply thought about what it means that miles turner spent the first 19 18 years of his life in texas he went to texas and then he turned 19 and he got drafted by the pacers about two three months after he turned 19 and then from ages 19 to 27 He's been in Indiana, right? Like that is not quite a third of his life, but pretty dang close to a third of his life. And next year, he will turn, yeah, next year he'll turn 27 and he'll have been with the Pacers for nine years. Like, or no, he'll turn 28. So it'll be very close to a third of his life next year. Like it really is his second home, not only, also for like the formative years of him growing into an adult, like have been in Indiana. I've never thought of it like that. I didn't realize how much it probably means to him so it's good that he could have a camp here he's got a big poster on the wall in the Pacers Athletic Center so it was very cool that he could have that kind of experience and the campers could too a lot of kids like came in with his gear on which was really cool uh, of course he does he does a really good job interacting with campers I mean all the Pacers guys the this summer specifically did a really good job interacting with campers at that camp they're not just going through the motions Toppin, Halbert and all of them I've done a good job. And Turner said, it just means the city is embracing me like I've embraced them. It really is my second home at this point, which that, again, hammering that home point, home that point I thought was really interesting. And then the other part of this that, of course, everybody wants to hear about, what does he think of the summer, right? Pacers team looks different. They have four new players on the roster. They've got new two-way guys. His role might look a little different. The team's trying to be better. What do you have to say about all that? Well, of course, he had a refreshing summer. He wasn't in trade rumors for the first time. His contract situation is set. It's clear a position he's going to play. He can just focus on his game. So he went to Denver to train for a month and a half, which was good. He said it helped him a lot, not only with like basketball, but also his mental health, which is great. He's been literally everywhere. It's nuts uh, how much traveling Miles Turner's done when he explained everywhere he's gone. Uh, but he's had a lot of fun this summer, he said. But in terms of the Pacers-specific summer... Uh, He had a lot to say about some of the additions. He said, first of all, I think we definitely got bigger. We added a championship mindset in Bruce Brown. And on paper, I think we definitely got better. I love what we've done. We've definitely gotten fast and more athletic. I think it's interesting to lean into that part of it, not because it's surprising from Turner specifically, who's like good in transition but not amazing, but because he, like everybody else, continues to hammer that point home. And I'm so fascinated by what that's going to mean for the Pacers who already played fast. Are they going to be better at that thing they do a lot, or are they going to plateau a little bit and have to add in other ways? They're still more talented. They love the athleticism. This team should be better. I'm curious what that's going to look like on the floor. Miles Turner, like everybody else, thinks they're going to be better in transition and being fast and also they got more athletic miles says later we always want to play fast we know we're going to be great offensively defensively is where we're really going 
is where we're going to try to make our mark this season. I love how fast we're going to be. As you heard yesterday on the podcast with Will Fur, we were debating whether the Pacers could get their defensive rating ranking this season into the top 20 of the league. It's going to be tough. So Turner thinks that's going to where their mark's going to be. If they can get up to about that 20th range, right, that would take about three points of defensive um, improvement. That would get them very close, if not over 500, given just kind of how their net rating shook out last season. He had a lot of praise for the additions that he liked with Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard did uh, in Summer League. And he thinks the team will be better on both ends, quite frankly, because they got better defensively and because they'll be faster, which is something that they're already good at. You can read all of his comments over at Pacers SI. I have two stories on this, one on the camp part specifically and one on Turner talking about the offseason. That is the recent news of Pacer Line. I have three more things in my news to cover tab that I still haven't gotten to, which is good because as these international podcasts keep coming, I can keep tossing them in there and talking about them. Uh, but a big one, Chad Buchanan on setting the pace with Alex Gold and Michael Fauci had a lot to say about the Pacer summer, echoing some of the stuff he said on ESPN during a summer league broadcast, but also a lot of new information from Buchanan that I want to get to to close out today's show. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. A little bit of a dead time around the NBA and the non-James Harden front, so I'll just pick a random team that I've said nothing about this summer. Check out Locked On Magic next. They got Joe Ingles, and they have Philip Rossman-Reich breaking down everything Orlando Magic and their offseason. Go check out Locked On Magic to hear more about a team that I think is going to be pretty interesting this coming season. And because I just watched Franz Wagner play with Tice for Germany. Maybe they're on the mind a little more than I'll give him credit for. Let's talk about what Chad Buchanan said to Alex Golden and Michael Focci over at Setting the Pace. Uh, really good stuff. 80 minutes with Chad Buchanan. Great podcast. Really enjoyed listening to it. Learned a lot. So first of all, he echoed a lot of the stuff he said. If you if you watched every Pacers Summer League game, there was an ESPN game. I can't remember which one it was. They were playing in Cox Pavilion. So I think it was the Mavs. Either way, Buchanan went on the TV broadcast for about seven minutes, and he talked about the Bruce Brown signing. He talked about um, the, the Toby Toppin trade. I don't know why I just spaced Toby Toppin's name. Um, a lot more stuff there. And he echoed a lot of that stuff. Um, when talking with Alex and Michael, he said uh, of Obi Toppin, he said he's a guy along with some other young force that we've been tracking for a couple years. Those guys are very difficult to acquire. And he said of Bruce Brown, um, we had a lot of cap room to spend. We had to get to the salary floor. We said, hey, let's go a little bit higher number than his market might ask and see if he'll maybe take a shorter deal. He was open to it, right? And he also added that he thinks Brown can play a lot of positions all over the floor, right? Some of the stuff he's already said. Nothing surprising there. Um, I highly recommend you listen to the full interview. Again, it's super long. But there was a lot of stuff he said that he, A, hadn't been asked this summer, and B, I thought was noteworthy or newsy and interesting to talk about that I wrote down that I would like to get to today. So, good questions by Alex and Mike. To get to this point, one of them was about uh, Cam Whitmore sliding to 20, right? And Buchanan already has addressed this on the radio, right? Them trying to trade back into the first round at times or trade up back in. I don't know what the perfect terminology is, whatever. Um and what that looks like, and the guys on setting the pace asked, why is that? Why can that be hard? Why can that be difficult to do? And Buchanan talked about how it's hard to move into the draft when teams kind of fall in love with guys because for six months you kind of identify a range and you fall in love with maybe not fall in love, but like you like a few guys, you think about what they'll mean to your team on your team in that spot. You talk to your owner and everybody on staff about like who do you like? Here's who we probably will end up with. Here's how this could all go. And then when your pick is up and you've thought for months and months and invested resources into researching all these guys, 
right? That player is like slightly more valuable to you than trading is just because of the amount of time and energy you've spent into it. So it can be hard for teams to part with picks, even if the trade value actually makes sense. And when it was explained like that, I suppose that made a lot of sense to me. It clicked to me, even though like in a vacuum, you could say a trade is fair. A team might say, well, it's fair, but we've done more research into the to path A than path B. So path A still we're going with. I thought that was really interesting. Um, something else he said is Chris Duarte trade. Um, Obviously, it happened. The explanation was similar to what they've said before about kind of the logjam at the spots and playing time and all that. But he said the Kings have had interest in Duarte before. I thought that was really interesting. I wonder when that was and what that would have meant for the Pacers had they moved him at a different time. Obviously, they wouldn't have known everything about what their team would look like, but I thought that was noteworthy. I think a couple teams have had interest in Chris Duarte before. Um, Something else that I'm glad Alex asked about was the rotation kind of stuff, what this will look like. In training camp, uh, Chad Buchanan said there should and will be some camp battles at basically every position. He said guys will be fighting for minutes, and then he joked and he was like, I think Tyrese Halliburton will probably start. I think Miles Turner's probably going to start, right? Those two seem pretty clear, but he didn't say anybody else. So it kind of seems like the Pacers really are going to use camp in preseason and some of these. I'm sure they have an idea, to be clear, of what they want their rotation to be. I have my own guesses, but I think there will be some element to camp of. You know, guys fighting for spot, not necessarily like a ton of minutes, but just like a little bit of time here and there or a certain spot in the rotation or a certain someone they should be paired with. I thought that was really interesting. And I think this will actually be a pretty big camp. Like there's a lot of flux between like Toppin and Walker and Mather and Brown healed. And I'm missing one. Uh, Neesmith and Nemhard. Like how does all this shake out? How does McConnell like is he going to try to weasel his way in? Of course, he's going to be awesome for camp battles. Right, all that kind of stuff I thought was interesting, and I think they're going to put more value on that than they will in a typical season, just given kind of where they are as a team. Uh, Pacers GM also said, this is not related to the Pacers specifically, but just kind of how the NBA is trending from a free agency perspective. I think I talked about this a little on the show, but like the free agent quality for this summer was not that high. And I'll, and Chad kind of said, hey, that would probably be the case going forward, if not worse free agency classes. There's looser extension rules. Guys have figured out how to get where they want with bird rights before they're free agents. It's better for teams to be able to trade guys early than get nothing for them. Guys move around. Free agency is less common. And now that extensions are easier with the new rules, he thinks even less guys will hit free agency. And that makes a lot of sense to me. So free agency is going to become less of a tool for teams. Buchanan also talked about how the physical nature of Team USA games will help Tyrese Halliburton. That was the case for Miles Turner a few years ago. That should be the case for Ty now. We're seeing that, especially defensively. I've seen him have to battle a little bit more with the red, white, and blue so far. Uh, they talked about a ton of guys on the roster, uh, but here's the two notes that, that stood out the most to me going through everybody. One, TJ McConnell, quote, one of the best backups in the league, unquote. Okay. Will he actually be the backup? I don't know. I agree with that value assessment. What does that mean for the Pacers, who have a lot of guys who probably should be in the rotation? I don't know. Because one of the very next guys they talked about was Aaron Neesmith. And this was Chad Buchanan's exact quote. Quote, he'll be in our rotation. <laughs> Seems pretty cut and dry. So, <laughs> uh, what? maybe McConnell's just not, even though he's one of the best backups in the league. I don't know what that means. I thought that was all very interesting. But it seems like... Look, even dating back to Rick Carlisle last year, talking about Neesmith being exactly what the Pacers are all about, loving the traits he brings, loving the skills he has. I I think Neesmith's going to play, and I think he should play. Um, Buchanan talked about him getting a little more consistent with his three, but what does that mean for TJ, one of the best backup guards in the league, which I still think is true. 
uh, I think will be fascinating to see. And speaking of TJ, uh, because I've talked about him being a veteran and that being important for the Pacers without George Hill and James Johnson, um, they asked Chad Buchanan about those guys. What they're, you know, will they be back? What the deal is going to be? Um, they're content with their moves, right? So they're not just going to going to cut somebody to, to sign one of those guys. It sounds like, but um, something that I didn't think about or have thought about, I guess, but not really articulated well, is that part of the thinking for the Pacers and Buchanan said this is like, hey, without those vets, we're kind of they're kind of having their young guys step into more veteran roles, right? What does that look like for? Miles Turner, for more so Tyrese Halburn, for some other young guys to take more of a leadership role. Could this be a way for them to kind of bridge their way into that spot going forward if those vets aren't back? I had not thought of that. I think that's very interesting and maybe a smart strategy long term. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition. On Ben Matherin, uh, Buchanan reiterated the same thing he said on the ESPN broadcast, that passing is very important for his next step of development. I agree. Uh, if you go back to the last Friday show of July, you'll hear me talk about why I'm still high on Matherin, but I still really think that passing is important for him. Uh, on the backup center log jam, whew, this one's interesting. Buchanan said, they all bring something different, but it's impossible to play all four. Interesting. He even said that Tice is not on their timeline, right? Like it's, it's pretty obvious everybody knows that, but maybe he's still a guy they consider with his skill set this season we'll see. I still think Isaiah Jackson to be the backup five. I think it's going to be Jalen Smith, even though my guess, or even though I would do Isaiah Jackson myself. We'll see what that ends up as, but uh, it's going to be, you know, he said they all bring something different to the table, but they cannot play all four of them, as we know. But hearing him say all that is, of course, more noteworthy because he works for the team and is the general manager. The last thing I thought was noteworthy, he was asked about goals. He didn't bring up a specific win number of the playoffs. He said, clear development and progress which i think makes a lot of sense right he even said like we could win 43 games and not feel good about the development or progress we had i thought that was noteworthy i wonder what that would actually look like and maybe it's a vibe thing right like the pacers won 37 games this year but everybody feels great about the direction they're headed because of how all the players played and how clear their identity is you know there's a lot of sliding scale to success when your goals are development and improvement but you know, there's there's a lot of ways that could go. They could win just 38 games, but if a lot of key guys look better, then that's great. So that was all the a lot of the noteworthy stuff I wanted to talk about. There was a lot more than that, a lot more. They went through every transaction one by one uh, with Chad, and then did a bunch of stuff on the roster and the league in general. And a great bit right at the end about a little friendly wager that goes on inside the Pacers during every draft. I will not spoil it because I don't want to steal their clicks, but hop on over to Setting the Pace for more there. Thank you guys for listening today. Lots of news to get through as we continue through the offseason. Still three more newsy things I have in the Piper, uh, and two of them are more about basketball, but I wrote a longer story about how Bruce Brown can help the Pacers. I want to talk about it a little bit in the future, and Ben Shepard is coming next, and I did a story on Gennaro Pargo coaching in Summer League. And I want to talk about him a little bit more. This week, uh, Josh Lloyd from Lockdown Fantasy Basketball and I are going to talk all things Pacers, both from a fantasy and Pacers perspective from a season preview. Josh knows so much about the league. It's ridiculous. I'll just post the whole episode right here so you'll learn stuff about the Pacers from an outsider's perspective and from a fantasy perspective. And then one other show guest we'll see, but I want to talk about a fake expansion draft. Who would we protect as the Pacers and what that could look like in the future? Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. You can find me on Twitter at Tony R. East and this show at Locked on Pacers. Back tomorrow or Thursday. We'll see. We're at four days a week until about early to mid-September. We'll see. Hope everybody had a great day. We'll see you soon. <laughs>